Well, good morning, Ankar. My name is Brad. I'm, I have the privilege this morning of opening God's Word as we continue our series through Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 4 this morning. Uh, I'm part of the Newtown Gospel community. I'm one of the leaders here at Anchor. Uh, there's three of us up there, I think, <laughs> represent. And, and I'm going to pray for us again that God would help us to understand his words. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you have spoken to us so clearly in your word, in the Bible, and we confess that so often we have hard hearts uh, where we don't hear it, where we refuse to listen to it. So this morning we ask that you would open our ears, that you would give us a heart to receive your word and to put it into practice. We ask that you would form us into a community that loves you and that loves one another from the heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every week here at Anchor, before the sermon, we have chat time, and we just did that. And I wonder how you find chat time. I hope that you really enjoy connecting with people, maybe getting to meet some people that you didn't know before. Um, But I want to acknowledge that for some of us, chat time might be a lonely experience. Maybe you look around and you don't really know the people that are sitting next to you. Maybe you've just had a rubbish week and you don't want to talk to anyone. Maybe it's just easier to get your phone out than turn around to someone new to say good day. I reckon for me, some of the times that I've felt loneliest are actually when I'm surrounded by other people and I feel lost in the crowd. Loneliness. Loneliness is a big problem for people in our city. A recent study found that one third of Australians suffer from the pain of loneliness. And that same study found that loneliness is a bigger threat to public health than obesity. Loneliness is a bigger threat to public health than obesity. Can you believe that? It can result in depression and anxiety, low energy, sleep issues. We can turn to substance use and gambling, trying to fill that hole that's left within us from loneliness. It can lead to negative feelings about ourselves. And I reckon we all feel that pain of loneliness from time to time. It's not just a third of us. All of us feel that hole within us. Mark Twain said about New York City, that it is a splendid desert, a domed and steepled solitude where the stranger is lonely in the midst of a million of his race. In Sydney, we live in a city of 4.2 million people. We are surrounded by millions of people and yet we are lonelier than ever. A quarter of us live alone. We live by ourselves. We don't talk to our neighbours. We walk down the street without looking anyone in the eye because we're looking at our phones. We choose the self-service option at the supermarket. We shop online rather than in store. We work in our cubicles with our headphones in, not talking to the people next to us. If we get into the lift with someone else, we don't say good day to them, we get our phones out because it's just too awkward to talk to that lonely person in the lift. Our technology is meant to connect us and yet it leaves us feeling lonelier than ever. We're just depressed as we scroll through Facebook or Instagram looking at the perfect lives of everyone else, realizing that our lives are pretty pathetic. Why do we feel so lonely? Well, some causes of loneliness are beyond our control. They're circumstantial. You don't have any control if if you're born with a disability, if you have a mental health issue, if someone close to you dies, if you're isolated by language and cultural boundaries. Sometimes people just exclude us and we don't have any control over that. 
I remember that one of the first times my daughter Eva experienced this. She's only two years old. And anyone who knows Eva knows that she's a little social butterfly. She loves making friends. She loves talking to people. She loves going up to her friends and giving them big hugs. And we took her to the playground one day. And there was a group of, of, of girls over there that she wanted to go play with. She wanted to go make friends. And so she walked up to them to play with them. And they said, no, no, you're not allowed to play with us. Go away. And Eva was just, just heartbroken. She just went off and sat by herself in the corner. She didn't have any control over that. And yet, at the same time, loneliness can be self-inflicted as well. We can isolate ourselves from others. We can cut ourselves off. Simon and Garfunkel wrote the song, I Am A Rock, and they captured this idea perfectly. They said, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And what did they conclude? A rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. So we cut ourselves off from other people. We put walls up to protect ourselves so that we don't feel the pain. Such a sad song, isn't it? And it expresses so much of the individualism of our culture where we just think, I'm fine by myself. I don't need anyone else. But this is not how we were meant to live. Brené Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston and she says, connection is why we're here. Connection is why we're here. It gives us purpose and meaning in our lives. It doesn't matter whether you talk to people in social justice or mental health or abuse and neglect. What we know is that neurobiologically we are wired for connection. And yet for so many of us, our connections are superficial. We long for deep relationships. We long to be fully known and to deeply know other people. We long for deep friendships. And yet so often all we feel is the pain of loneliness. Now this morning as we look at Ecclesiastes 4, we're going to see three snapshots of loneliness from the preacher. But we're also going to see an alternative, an alternative way to live. So if you open up your Bibles, get it out on your phone or open your Bibles up, we'll go have a look at Ecclesiastes 4 together. The three snapshots of loneliness that we're going to see, we're going to see first, loneliness in oppression, second, loneliness in work, and third, loneliness in leadership. So first, loneliness in oppression. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been born and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun." So the preacher looks out and he sees oppression. He looks into the workplace and he sees corrupt leadership and unjust gain. He looks into the playground and he sees bullying. He looks inside our homes and he sees domestic violence and abuse. He looks down the back alleys of our city and he sees drug use and rape and assault. 
He looks into the factories of the developing world and sees child labour and exploitation. He looks at our computer screens and sees pornography and the horror of sex slavery. He looks across the deserts of Syria and all he sees is war and violence and terror and people running for their lives. It is a twisted, dark, perverted world that he sees out there. And people are hurting. But what's the problem that he sees? He sees the tears of the oppressed and what's the problem? They had no one to comfort them. Now, did you notice that the preacher says that for both the oppressed and the oppressor, despite that power imbalance, they're both in the same boat. There was no one to comfort either of them. Loneliness is the real tragedy. Isolation increases the pain of oppression. Now, I want us to feel the weight of this. Whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed, whether you're born in poverty or in riches, whether you're on the bottom or on the top, we're all going to feel the pain of this broken world. But the worst pain of all is that hole within us. Loneliness. Having no one to comfort you. The second snapshot that we see is loneliness in work. Take a look at verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So the preacher looks out and sees this guy working, working, working himself into the ground, driven on by an insatiable hunger for more. All this toil, but who is he working for? He's got no one to share it with, no one to enjoy it with, and it leaves him lonely and empty. Work driven on by an insatiable desire for more will only ever leave you unsatisfied and isolated. This is self-inflicted loneliness. But what's the problem behind his work? Take a look at verse 4. The preacher says, I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from... They come from a man's envy of his neighbour. This also is vanity and a striving after the winds. See, envy is the real problem here. Envy drives us on in a mad rush after gain. Our heart is never satisfied. I just want more and more and more and more. So I work myself into the ground so that I can get what you've got. You see, this shirt that I bought last week, I didn't buy it because I needed it. I bought it because I wanted you to see me wearing it. So I work, work, work to get more money to buy my clothes, to get more money to buy that car, to get more money to buy that house so that I can get what he's got so that he can see what I've got and it leaves us empty. It leaves us lonely. It leaves us unsatisfied. It leaves us unhappy. The irony and tragedy is that as you pursue the person above you on the ladder, you inevitably step on the head of the person below you. The life of striving, the life of envy, so easily becomes the life of oppression. It's fundamentally anti-neighbour and individualistic, and it will leave you lonely, unhappy, and unsatisfied. The third snapshot that we see is loneliness in leadership. Have a look at verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth 
than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So what's the king's problem here? He doesn't listen to anyone else. He's cut himself off from all his advisors. But what's the problem underneath this? It's his pride, isn't it? He thinks he's arrived at the top. He's got nothing left to learn. He has all the answers and he doesn't need anyone else's help. But surely this king of anyone should know better. Verse 14 tells us that he had gone from prison to the throne, that he was born in poverty. This king should have known that he was not a self-made man. He wasn't born into the kingdom. He's only arrived at the kingship on the shoulders of others. Unfortunately, career advancement so often results in you losing yourself along the way and losing those that you should have listened to. The king's pride causes his loneliness. He isolates himself in leadership and after he's gone, no one rejoices in him. Three snapshots of loneliness from the preacher. Loneliness in oppression, loneliness in work, loneliness in leadership. Now, we've all felt this pain of loneliness, some of us more than others. But for all of us, the preacher wants to disrupt our souls. He wants to make us dissatisfied with our experience of life under the sun. He wants to make us dissatisfied with this emptiness within us caused by loneliness. There's got to be a better way, doesn't there? There's got to be more. There's got to be a better way to live. How can we fix this problem of isolation and loneliness? Well, the whole story of the Bible is shaped to answer that question of how we fix this problem of isolation and loneliness. In the beginning, when God created the world, he looked at what he made and said, it is good, but there was one thing that was not good. There was one thing that was not good. It was not good for the man to be alone. And so God gave the man a woman. God gives us to one another. We were not made to be alone. We're made in the image of a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing in perfect love and community from all eternity. The reason it is not good for us to be alone is that as God's image bearers in this world, we require community to reflect the image of our relational God. And yet despite God giving us this amazing gift of relationships, friendships, community, we turn around and destroy what he's he's given to us. God made us for one another and we think that we're better off alone. And so we stop listening to God, we stop listening to other people, we want to do things our own way. And what we end up doing is, just like that Simon and Garfunkel song, we build walls around us brick by brick. We think we're building ourselves a castle so that we can be king, but all we're really building is a prison, cutting ourselves off from God, cutting ourselves off from the people that we were made to be in relationship with. And the result is that we are alone again. We reap what we've sown. And it turns out that our prison becomes our grave because by cutting ourselves off from God, the source of life, it's like a flower that's been cut off from the plant where we quickly wither and die. Death is the pinnacle of our self-inflicted loneliness. Now, it breaks God's heart to see what a mess we've made of our lives, to see what a mess we've made of his world. God loves us so much that he can't stand by to leave us in our sin, to watch us destroy the world that he has made. So how does God go about trying to fix this problem of isolation and loneliness that's been caused by our sin? 
Well, he sends his son Jesus to die a lonely death for us. Jesus suffered and died alone. Death and isolation are the consequences of sin. And Jesus took that consequence from our shoulders and bore it himself so that we could be free. He was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by his friends. He was isolated and cut off and cast out so that we could be brought in, so that we could become part of the family of God. Now, while we are building up those walls brick by brick to cut ourselves off, Jesus tears them down. Jesus bears those bricks of sin upon his own shoulders and destroys those dividing walls that we put up through his death on the cross. By dealing with sin, Jesus removes the very thing that separates us from God and separates us from one another. And he restores us to God. Through faith in Jesus, we are united to to God. Everything that Jesus achieved at the cross is ours. We are justified. We are forgiven of our sins. We are reconciled to the Father. We are adopted into his family. With the help of his spirit, we can begin again to live the life we were made to live. Life in community. And as Arnaldo was saying at the start, this is so close to our hearts at Anchor. We want to be a church that lives in community. We want to see deep, gospel-centered friendships replace the isolation and pain of loneliness. We've seen three snapshots of loneliness in Ecclesiastes 4, and the preacher shows us a better way to live. The preacher gives us an alternative. And we're going to see three snapshots of community where we saw loneliness in oppression, loneliness in work, and loneliness in leadership, we're now going to see comfort in oppression, contentment in work, and collaboration in leadership. Three snapshots of what life looks like in community, but also three antidotes to the problem of loneliness, comfort, contentment, and collaboration. So let's have a look at this. Comfort in oppression. When we looked at loneliness in oppression, what was the, what was the big problem? The preacher looked out and saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. So what's the alternative? Let's have a look at verse 9. He writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Two are better than one. The preacher wants us to see that we are better together. In community, we can help one another. We can support one another. We can comfort one another. We can pick each other up when we fall. Now, the scriptures point to an even greater comfort than we can get from a friend. They point to a God of comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, a God of comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Jesus can comfort us in our affliction because he suffered himself. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly what you've been through because he himself suffered in this world. And he's reaching out to you right now, offering you peace and comfort. But this is not just comfort for now. Not just comfort for, t- for today, this is comfort for eternity. The Bible promises that there will come a great day of judgment when the evil deeds of humanity will be judged and punished. And on that day, God will right all the wrongs. 
He will right all the oppressions that he sees under the sun. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that he will wipe away all our tears, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for all the old things will have passed away and he will make everything new. We have a God of comfort who wants to comfort us today, to comfort us for eternity. So are you hurting today? Are you feeling empty? Are you lonely You have a heavenly Father who loves you, who sent his precious son Jesus to die for you, who's reaching out to you through the gospel to offer you peace. God is near to the hurting. He's near to the afflicted. He's near to the oppressed. So cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Now, 2 Corinthians 1, it also tells us that as we experience God's comfort, that we're able to comfort others with the same comfort and love that we ourselves have experienced in Christ. I think this is one of the biggest blessings of Christian community, that we care for one another, that we comfort one another. Now, in this room this morning, maybe in the seat beside you, there are people who are hurting. There are people who are lonely and need comfort this morning. I want to encourage you, church, to care for one another just like God has cared for you through his son Jesus. Now at Anchor, our lead pastor, Matt Sparks, doesn't provide all the pastoral care. No, we care for one another. That's why gospel communities are so important here at Anchor. GCs are the heart of pastoral care, where we comfort each other, where we care for one another. And we want We want you to experience the blessings of life in community, to be part of a family that cares for you. So if you're not in a GC, then we'd love you to join one. We don't want you to miss out on these blessings of community. And if you'd like to connect with a gospel community, then you can go over to the Connect table after our gathering. I also want to encourage us, as Arnaldo was saying at the start, so often our focus on community can turn inwards. But... Comfort shouldn't just be something that we offer to the church family. So many in our city have no one to comfort them. At Anchor, we want to see citywide transformation. We want, to be, we want to give an alternative way of living, an alternative way of being in community to so many out there who are lonely and hurting. We want to be a beacon of community, offering connection and comfort to the lonely. So wouldn't it be amazing if this week, if every single one of us, maybe not just even this week, maybe the rest of our lives, if every single one of us went out looking for the lonely, went out looking for the hurting in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, to love them, to care for them, to comfort them with the same love that we've received from Jesus. A snapshot of community, comfort in oppression, an antidote to loneliness. The second thing we see is contentment in work. Now, when we looked at loneliness in work, what was the real problem underneath his work? It was envy. The person who works, works, works for more, 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 he just ends up with less because he's got no one to share it with. So what's the alternative to envy? An endless striving in our work. Well, choosing not to work is not the answer. Look at verse 5. The preacher says, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. His laziness destroys him. No, the scriptures uphold and affirm the value of work. God has made us to work. It's part of what it means to be in his image. But we need to work in such a way that it does not crush us, where we are not driven on by envy and greed. 
So what's the alternative to this envy-driven work? He shows us in verse 6. He says, Better is one handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. The alternative to envy and endless striving is contentment. The preacher says it's better to have less. It's better just to have one handful with contentment and community than to have two hands full, to have more with a striving after the wind, with endless toil, with no one to share it with. We need to see afresh what true riches really are, what the rich life is. The rich life is not a life full of trinkets and toys and treasures and possessions, but of rich relationships and contentment with what we've got. Working 80 hours a week to buy trinkets for your family is not the rich life. It is poverty. It is poverty of relationships. You see, the dad seeks to justify himself to his kids why he's always at work, why he's never home. He says, I want to give you everything that I never had as a kid. I want to give you everything that you ever could have dreamed of. And all the kid is thinking is, Dad, all I want is you. All I want is for you to be home with me. See, true riches, true life is not found in trinkets and treasures, but in rich relationships. Now, for most of us, this is hard to see because we love our trinkets and treasures. We look around at others, we see what they've got and we want it ourselves. We, we want to get ahead. We don't want to fall behind. We need to realise that the tendency of our sinful hearts is greed and envy, that we always want more, 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 and we're never satisfied. And so we end up justifying our career choices, justifying our consumer choices because of our deep desire within us for more. But according to the preacher, what we need is not more. We don't need more stuff. What we need is less stuff with more contentment. So church, are you content with what you have? Are you working just to get what you need or to get more than you need? Are you working so much that you don't have time for community? Do you need to change your work rhythms, maybe even change your job, Make room in your life for relationships so that you can have a richer life. I think Nigel Nick is such a wonderful example of this. You know, going from double income to basically single income this year so that they made room in their lives for community and relationships. And they would say that they have been richly blessed because of those decisions that they've made. So how can we cultivate this community, this, this, cultivate contentment in our lives? We need to understand the gospel And all that Jesus has done for us. That he was rich and yet he became poor so that we might become rich in him. We need to rightly perceive of ourselves. We need to see that we are rich in Christ. That we have every spiritual blessing in him. It's only when we see that, how blessed we are, that we can be content with what we have here on earth. And choose community over endless striving. Comfort in oppression. Contentment in work. And third, we see collaboration in leadership. A third snapshot of a better way to live. A third snapshot, a third antidote to the problem of loneliness. So when we looked at loneliness in leadership, what was the problem? It was the king's pride, wasn't it? He thought he could manage by himself and so he didn't take any advice from anyone, didn't listen to anyone. What's the alternative that the preacher gives us? Well, in verse 13, the alternative is the poor wise youth 
Now, if the old king is foolish because he refuses to take advice, why do you think the poor youth is wise? Surely it's because he does. He does take advice. He listens to other people. So listening to others, collaboration is one of the keys to great leadership. And there's so many Proverbs that back this up. I could go through dozens of them, but we'll just look at one. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, proud leaders like the king, they think that because they're in a position of leadership that people are meant to listen to them. Proud leaders feel threatened when people underneath them know stuff that they don't or have ideas that they didn't think of. They tear people down when others do a good job so that they can feel better about themselves. They shut themselves up in their offices, refusing to take advice, refusing to work with others because they think that they know best and they can do it themselves. But all they're really trying to do is protect themselves. All they're really trying to do is protect their power and their ego. Andy Stanley, who's a leadership guru, says, leaders who refuse to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing helpful to say. How true is that? Leaders who refuse to listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing helpful to say. But great leaders are humble leaders. Great leaders, they know that they're not the smartest guy in the room. They actually choose to surround themselves with people who are smarter than them. Great leaders surround themselves with people who are better than them, who know more stuff, who are more skilled. Great leaders value and respect their team and those under their leadership. Great leaders listen. Great leaders understand that leadership is not control. Leadership is influence. Great leaders understand that leadership is not coercion, but empowerment. Great leaders seek to collaborate to get the job done. And this is a lesson that we're learning on leadership here at Anchor. One of the ways that we've sought to implement this in the last few months is by holding an Anchor Forum. Uh, where we invited just a few people from key demographics across Anchor to speak into our staff team, to tell us what we're doing well, but more importantly, what we're not doing well, so that we can grow in those areas. And we sat down for two or three hours with 20 people from across Anchor, and that has really shaped a number of the key decisions that we're making at a staff level about where we're going as a church. So this is something that we're learning as well. Now, collaborative leadership, it's not just wise, but it's actually more productive. Because that's what we want. We want a better return, don't we? If we're in business, we we care about the bottom dollar. Collaborative leadership is more productive. Have a look at verse 9. Two are better than one. Why? Because they have a good reward for their toil. You see, we actually work better together. When we work together, we're not just the sum of our parts. It's more like our efforts are multiplied. You see, four and four don't make eight. Four and four make 16 when we work together. Work is meant to be done with other people. Not only do we get a better return for our toil, but isn't it more fun? Isn't it more fun to work with other people? Now, when you've worked under a leader who listens to your ideas, who believes in you, who wants to get the best out of you, who values you and seeks your input. Don't you want to work for him or her? Don't you want to turn up for work each day? Don't you want to give your best to be part of that team? You see, the collaborative leader, he actually gets the best out of his team. He has less staff turnover. He has more productivity and better returns than the proud leader who just shuts himself in his office 
and doesn't listen to anyone else. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are some decisions that shouldn't be made collaboratively, that can't be made collaboratively. But I think that great leaders can still be thinking about others in their decision-making process. They can let people know up front as appropriate about what decisions need to be made, that they've got to make some important decisions. They can seek advice and input from their team. They can ensure that the team has opportunity to fully understand the reasons behind the decision, to raise questions, to raise concerns. Now, people don't need to get their way to have buy-in and commitment. If you lead humbly, if you lead collaboratively, if you seek other people's input, you can actually have really high levels of buy-in, really high levels of commitment, where people support your decisions, even if they disagree, because they trust you as their leader, and they love working for you. So this is a relevant word for our ministry leaders at Anchor, for our staff, for our team leaders, for our gospel community leaders. How will this shape how you lead your team? But this is also relevant for us in the workplace, whether you're a CEO or a manager or a team leader or a tradie or a project leader or a team member. Because you know, you can lead from the bottom, right? You can lead from the bottom. No matter what where you are in the org chart, you can have an influence. You can lead wherever, from wherever you are. At Anchor, we want to raise up world-changing leaders who are willing to listen to other people, who work together to achieve great things for the Lord. Not just great things in church, but great things for the Lord in your workplace. You can make choices this week in your own leadership, in your own workplace, to listen to others, to seek others' input, to work collaboratively. So what would that look like for you? Maybe that's something that you can chat about over morning tea. Now, while it is vital to listen to other people in leadership, the ultimate counsel that we need is not from the guy sitting in the cubicle next to us, but it's from the Lord. Proverbs also tells us that unless the Lord builds the house, the labours labour in vain. Left to ourselves, we isolate ourselves. We pursue more and more and more. We think we know all the answers and we just end up lonely. But God shows us in his wisdom that it is not good for us to be alone, that we are better together. We are made for community. We need one another. And God brings us together as a family through the gospel, reconciling us to God and to one another through Jesus' death on the cross. So we've seen three snapshots of life in community, a better way to live, comfort in oppression, contentment in work, collaboration in leadership. Three antidotes to our problem of loneliness, comfort, contentment, collaboration. And my prayer is that God will make us into that kind of family, make us into that kind of community. We've got the opportunity now to reflect on God's amazing grace to us, that Jesus suffered and died alone so that we could be brought into this amazing family. And as the band leads us in worship, we'll have the Lord's Supper. We have two stations either side of the stage with bread and juice. And during worship, as you feel led, please come forward to take the bread and dip it into the juice. So remember that Jesus' body was broken for you, that Jesus' blood was shed for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you could have a new life in him, so that you could be part of a community. He gave everything for us. He gave everything. Let us now offer him our everything, our whole lives as a living sacrifice to him, to give him the thanks and praise that he deserves. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you for your son Jesus, that he died for us when we were far from you. And that through him that we can have our sins forgiven and can be part of this new family that you are making. Father, we ask that the lonely this morning, that, that you might comfort us, that you might fill the emptiness in our hearts. We ask that you might form us into the kind of community that you want us to be here on earth, where we comfort one another, where we're content with what we've got, knowing that we are rich in Christ, and where we're willing to work together collaboratively to achieve great things for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.